I have been told that running a marathon is pretty hard. <laughs> I don't know from experience, but, I, but I've heard that. Is that right, Chris? It is hard. Chris, uh, Chris and his wife, uh, Amanda, run at least once a year, um, sometimes more than that, marathons. It's kind of crazy. Freddie's run a half marathon. Oh, you don't do the whole, you don't do the full? No more. Okay, all right. right. Freddie, you've done a marathon before, right? Uh, anybody else run marathons? That's 26 miles that you run at one time. Not, not in your entire life, but at one time, okay? That's pretty crazy, all right? But in order to prepare for a marathon, there is a lot of training and preparation and working out and running and eating right. It takes a lot of hard work. My wife, Suzanne, her cousin, Brian, runs ultra marathons. He is crazy, okay? An ultra marathon is 100 miles in one race at one time. Like you start running one day and then you run through the night into the next day, okay? That's a long ways to run. I asked Brian one time, I said, what do you have to do to prepare to run this ultra marathon? And he ran one just a couple of years ago in the Florida Keys. And I think he's getting ready to run one next month too. But uh, so he ran one in the Florida Keys a couple of years ago. And so to prepare to run in the heat and the humidity of, of the Keys, he actually sectioned off a section of his garage with plastic. He put his treadmill and a heater inside there just so he could help prepare. And you know what? He, he said it, it still didn't help that much because the humidity and the heat of running 100 miles. Running these long distances takes a change of mindset. It, it takes pressing on through pains and through hurts and through thirst. It takes keeping your eyes on the finish line so that you don't give up. Today, we're going to see not only where our starting line is spiritually, but how we can press on even when we hit the wall spiritually so that we can reach the goal, so that we can win the prize, so that we can be called heavenward with Jesus. We have been studying through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we have seen some amazing examples of people who did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then last week, We saw that when we put our confidence in the flesh, we will always be disappointed. But when we put our confidence in Jesus, we will find joy for our journey. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Philippians. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. You can borrow one or you can take one home as a gift from us. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at in verse 10. Philippians is on the right side of your Bible. If you are looking for it, it comes right after Ephesians and right before Colossians. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. It might be a little hard to to read uh, for some of you in the back, but uh, read along with us in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Paul says, I want to know Christ, Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining the resurrection of the dead. Let's pause there for just a moment. If you will remember from last week in the verses that are right before this, Paul says that his righteousness isn't of his own. 
But his righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus, just like in the song we sang in Cornerstone. We are clothed in his righteousness alone. Paul says, my righteousness comes from God alone. Remember last week, we saw that Paul said that all of his righteousness, all of his accomplishments, all of the things that he has done, all of his gains, he considers trash that he may gain Jesus. So friends, here is what a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus looks like. Having a righteousness that comes from God is first and foremost knowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus, as Paul says here. Paul will write in Romans chapter 8, verse 10, and he'll say this, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Friends, we are all dead because of our sins. And we have been made alive, not because of anything that we have done or anything that we have accomplished, but we have been made alive because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us from the dead of our sin. We are made alive in Jesus when we give our lives to him, when we put aside ourselves, when we repent of our sins and we are joined with Jesus into his death, into his burial, and into his resurrection through baptism. The power, the power of Jesus' resurrection makes us righteous before God. The power of the resurrection makes us right before God. Having a righteousness that comes from God is first and foremost to know the power of his resurrection. But this is just the starting line. This is just where we begin the race. Paul tells us in the next words where, what this race looks like. To participate in the suffering of Jesus. That's the race. That's the life of following Jesus, to participate in the suffering of Jesus. Now, you may know this, but most of the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And what we have here before us is English translations, reliable English translations from the Greek. But the word that we translate participation there in verse 10 comes from the Greek word koinonia. Now, other translations translate this word as fellowship. You've probably heard that before, right? We may even describe what we're getting ready to do uh, as fellowship, right? As us being connected with one another, us sharing a meal together. But Paul isn't talking about a meal of suffering here. He isn't talking about just having a meal of suffering here. He means participation. When we have fellowship with one another... We take part in each other's lives. We share in each other's lives. This is what we are called to do and to be as the church. We do life together. We love one another. We participate in one another's lives. So Paul says here, 
that he shares, he takes part in the suffering of Jesus. He participates, not that he wants to cause the suffering of Jesus, but he wants to share in it. Now, we know from our study of Philippians that Paul has suffered for the name of Jesus. We know that he has suffered for the sake of the gospel. We know that even as he writes these words to the Philippians, that he is in chains for the name of Jesus. He is sharing in the suffering of Jesus. And we know that Paul has suffered and continues to suffer and share in his suffering. Paul first comes to know the power of Jesus' resurrection when he put his sins to death by meeting Jesus in baptism. This was his starting line. This is where righteousness and knowing God's righteousness begins, but this isn't where it ends. But now Paul also shares in the suffering of Jesus. This is our race itself. This is our life of following Jesus to share in his suffering. But here's the finish line. Here is the goal. Here is what we are running towards. Paul tells us there, our resurrection from the dead through Jesus. This is the goal. Not that we somehow obtain that here and now, but this is what we run in Jesus towards. Look back at Philippians chapter 3 in verse 12. Paul continues and says, not that I have already obtained all of this or already have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which is, which Christ Jesus took hold for me. So Paul says here that he, not that he's already finished the race, not that he already has somehow obtained perfection, but Paul presses on pressing on that he may lay hold of what lies ahead. Friends, this is the race. This is the life of following Jesus. Not that we have already reached the finish line, but we press on. Friends, spiritually, we are running a marathon. And so because we are running a marathon, we must press on. We must keep going till we reach the finish line. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must keep our eyes on the author and the perfecter of this race, of our faith. Jesus has already gone before us. Jesus has already set the example for us. Jesus has already set the pace for us to run at. He has set the example for us, living the perfect life, the life without sin. He has shown us how we are to live. This is our goal. This is our finish line, the resurrection from the dead, being made whole once again. But friends, for us to reach the finish line, we must press on. We have to lean in. Even when things are difficult, even when things are hard, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus who has already gone before us. And Paul tells us how in the next verses. Look at verse 13 with me. 
Paul says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says that we run the race of life in Jesus. And in order for us to do that, we must press on. And the only way that we can press on is by forgetting what lies behind and reaching for what lies ahead. You know, friends, it's easy for us to get caught up in the past. Either in the past of the things that we've done really well, which leads us to pride and arrogance, or getting caught up in the things that we've done poorly, which leads to shame. Carl Kuhl wrote in his book, Bloodstained Pews, and said this about shame. He said, shame is about who I am, but guilt is about what I did. Shame is about what I, uh, who I am, but guilt is about what I did. Guilt says I didn't treat that person with respect, but shame says I am a horrible person. Guilt says I've sinned against God, but shame says I will never be who God wants me to be. Shame keeps us stuck, but guilt moves us forward. Shame is about me, but guilt is about others. Shame causes pain, but guilt holds accountable. Shame results in remorse. Guilt results in repentance. Remorse leads to shame, and repentance leads to freedom. One is a cycle of self-loathing, and one is a path to healing. But either way, whether it's shame in looking in the past, or pride in looking in the past, if we don't forget what lies behind and we don't keep our eyes focused on what lies ahead, we won't be able to press on. We will either say, well, you know what? I've done enough and so I don't have to go any further. I've done it all, right? That's pride. Or we'll say, there's no hope. Why don't I just give up? because of shame. Friends, if we were to drive down the road with our eyes only looking in the rearview mirror, we would end up running off the road or hitting somebody, right? If we stay focused on that rearview mirror, we can't see where we are going and what lies ahead of us. Friends, we must forget what lies behind so that we can press on towards the finish line. Running a marathon, oftentimes runners will hit what they call the wall. Chris, you hit the wall? Freddie, you hit the wall? No? Freddie's smiling, laughing. Chris is like, nah, I don't ever hit a wall. I'm good. Somewhere around the 18-mile mark, oftentimes runners will hit what they call the wall. Actually, they say it feels like they they ran into a brick wall, literally, right? They they, they say that their legs feel at, at the same time like eight tons and jello at the exact same time, right? And in order to keep moving, it it is actually, uh, uh, every step is an absolute triumph of will. 
And they begin to, to seriously doubt whether they could even finish the race and, and reach the finish line. Well, friends, even if we're not runners, we can relate to this because spiritually in this marathon that we're running, oftentimes we hit walls of suffering and hardship and difficulties. And when we do, if we don't lean in, if we don't stay focused on where our hope is, if we don't keep our eyes ahead of us, forgetting what is behind and pressing on, then we won't finish the race. So no matter what our feelings are, as we've seen through Philippians, no matter what our circumstances may be, we must keep reaching forward to the day that we will be made whole once again, that we will be raised to life once again in and through Jesus. We must keep pressing on if we are going to finish the race. Let's look at these last two verses in Philippians 3, verse 15. Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view on things, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on towards what lies ahead, right? We should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Now, friends, as we've talked about through all of the study, the, the p- people in Philippi were pretty mature in their faith. They were mature followers of Jesus. And I'm sure with that maturity, also some of them probably fell into some of that pride, thinking that they had already reached perfection, that they had arrived, that there was nothing left for them to do. And so Paul doesn't bash them or tell them that they're wrong, but he simply encourages them to keep on keeping on, to keep pressing forward. He keeps reminding them that their race is not done. You see, our race in the life of following Jesus isn't over when we are baptized, and it's not over when we think that we have obtained perfection, because we will suffer for the name of Jesus, so we must keep on keeping on. Even when things get hard, we must press on. It's only finished when we are standing before the throne and we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into everlasting life. And so then, until then, we run the race. Until then, we press on. Until then, we lean in to the hurts and the sufferings because we know that we are participating, we are sharing in the suffering of Jesus. Even when we hit the wall, we forget what lies behind. We press on and we reach out to what lies ahead. We keep pressing forward to the finish line. Our goal, our finish line is our resurrection from the dead. It's to be called heavenward with Jesus. This is what lies ahead of all of us. This is our hope. This is what we reach for. This is what keeps us going even when we don't want to keep going anymore. This is our goal. This is our prize. Not that we have somehow earned it, 
but it has been given to us freely through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from God through faith in him. And so we press on. When times are hard, we press on. When life seems hopeless, we press on. We keep reaching for the hope that we have of what lies ahead. We keep reaching for the goal and the finish line that is ahead. But friends, we can't do this alone. Here at Journey Church, we say that we want to live out our walk. We slow it down a little bit from running, okay? (laughs) We want to live out our walk together. And, And we do this by connecting with each other. We walk side by side through the messiness of life with prayer and accountability and encouragement. And and friends, here at Journey Church, life groups are, are the places that we are able to find these other runners of this race. We see this race of following Jesus, our finish line is all the same. Our goal is all the same. We are all running in this race together, but we aren't competing with each other. Now, friends, we may be at different places along the race. We may be walking or running at different speeds on the race, but we are running together. We may be at different places. We may be running at different speeds, but we are running together. We say all the time that we need each other because we are better together and we mean that. We run together. We pray for and with each other. We hold one another accountable. We encourage each other. We help carry each other. We help push each other. We help cheer each other on. I remember the first triathlon that I ever watched on TV that I saw Team Hoyt run in. Maybe you've seen this team run before. There's a picture of them, I think, on the the next slide here. Yep, Team Hoyt. It's a father-son team that runs in uh, triathlons and marathons. And I was blown away the first time that I saw them. Uh, Dick Hoyt, he he pushes his son, um, Rick, who has cerebral palsy. But they run together. Um, When they do the swimming part of the triathlon, Uh, Dick has a boat that he pulls Rick on. When they get onto the bike, uh, Rick takes, uh, uh, excuse me, Dick takes his son Rick and puts him onto the bike and he rides him for that part of the race. They have a wheelchair that you see here that uh, Dick pushes his son all the way through the race. They run together. They both experience the thrill of the race together. What a beautiful picture for how we, as the church, are to be running this race of following Jesus. We are to run together. We are to help push each other. We are to help carry each other. We are to help cheer each other on so that we can press on even when we hit the wall so that we can press on even when things get difficult so that we can press on even when times are are hopeless and our legs feel like they're eight tons of jelly that we can press on 
and help carry each other's burdens. We press on towards the goal, the finish line together to be called heavenward in Jesus. As many of you know, one of uh, our elders, Jeff, his uh, father passed away last week and at a funeral yesterday. And um, the, the pastor at the graveside read these verses that I'm going to share as we wrap up to remind us of our goal, to remind us of our finish line. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 50. And he says this, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. You remember these words that we sang in the song? For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself in in imperishable, and the mortal in immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, then the mortal and, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, some of you need to come and you need to start your race for the first time. Won't you come and repent of your sins? Let's go down to the river and meet him in baptism so that you can know the power of his resurrection. But friends, some of you have already done that, but you've been trying to run alone. You've been trying to run by yourself. Friends, stop trying to run alone. We run together. I want to encourage you to get connected to a life group and not run alone. Friends, if you are a part of a life group, whether you host a life group, lead a life group, go to a life group, would you you mind standing up right now? If you are a part of a life group, would you stand up? All right, if you're not standing up, I want to encourage you as we go and eat that you look around at these people and you go and talk to them and ask them about their life group. Friends, you don't have to run alone. We aren't meant to run alone. Get connected to one of our life groups. Get connected to a life group outside of Journey Church. We would love to get you plugged in to one of these life groups so that you don't run alone. You can be seated now. Friends, We aren't meant to run this race alone. And so we must forget what lies behind and press on to the finish line together so that we can find joy for our journey. 
Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you have given us. Father, we thank you that that this race that we run and following you, we don't have to run alone. That we can run together. Father, those who are here who haven't even started the race, would you move them and call them to yourself this morning? For those of us that have been trying to run this race alone, would you uh, move us to, to get connected with other runners so that we can find encouragement and prayer so that we can have somebody that will walk side by side through this messy thing called life together that would run side by side with us. So when things get hard, we can have somebody carry us. When things get difficult, we can hold somebody else up. Father, we thank you that our finish line, our hope, our our goal isn't just in this life, in this broken, painful life, but Father, our hope, our hope is in the life to come. When death is swallowed up in victory, when sin is wiped away completely. Father, we thank you that our hope is built on your son Jesus alone. So Father, help us to forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead together. Father, we ask your blessings on us today. Father, we ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.